Welcome to the February 2020 podcast for the Journal of Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition. My name is Dr. Kelly Tappenden, Editor-in-Chief of JPEN and Professor and Head of Kinesiology and, and Nutrition at the University of Illinois at Chicago. The paper we're discussing this month is entitled Malnutrition Diagnosis in Critically Ill Patients Using 2012 Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition Standardized Diagnostic Characteristics is Associated with Longer Hospital and Intensive Care Unit Length of Stay and Increased In-Hospital Mortality. We'll be speaking today with the senior author on behalf of the author group, uh, who is David Sears, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Institute of Nutrition, Director of Medical Nutrition at Columbia University Medical Center, and Chair of Medical Nutrition Council of the American Society for Nutrition. Welcome, Dr. Sears. Thank you, Kelly. I'm honored to be given this opportunity. Oh, the pleasure is ours. Now, as you have clearly been involved in this discussion, malnutrition uh, and its importance in, in hospitalized patients in the United States has been a big topic of recognition over the past decade. Uh, and in 2012, of course, there was this pivotal paper from the Academy and Aspen looking at proposed diagnostic criteria, yet there was, well, you know, good recognition that validation criteria were necessary to, in fact, show that it was identifying malnutrition and um, recognizing whether or not these patients were, were, in fact, doing less well. So you've embarked on this work. Tell us what the impetus was and uh, you sought to achieve. Well, ever since the uh, new guideline has come out, uh, a number of uh, hospitals have adopted it to diagnose malnutrition. This is important both in identifying the sickest patients in the hospital and also in terms of generating revenue for the hospital because it serves as a, a comorbid condition that will increase reimbursement for any given patient. The confusing thing about malnutrition is that it's sort of a conglomeration of diagnoses that. Uh, both reflect how much a person has starved, but also reflect how sick someone is. So for instance, muscle wasting uh, can be due to starvation or it can be due to uh, catabolism. Those things are not identifiable easily as to which is the cause. And so they're combined into one diagnosis. And so I should say up front that while we have validated that the current scheme uh, very clearly identifies the sickest patients in the hospital and those more likely to have comorbid uh, conditions, prolonged length of stay and mortality, um, that we still are a little bit far away from actually being able to say that these are patients who actually benefit from nourishment because some of them are well-nourished. The impetus for doing this was that we were seeing increasingly that the insurers have been challenging uh, our diagnoses this, of course, is expensive to them if we uh, are diagnosing willy-nilly uh, and uh, not doing a good job of it. And certainly, we've always been very rigorous at our institution about how we use the diagnostic criteria, but the insurers were using old criteria uh, that have long fallen off uh, the practice of hospital 
nutrition uh, as ways of saying to us, no, this, this wasn't there and this wasn't there. So the patient doesn't have malnutrition. Uh, so we got to thinking that perhaps it would be a good idea to show the insurers just how much uh, malnutrition matters in our patients. And that's why we embarked on this project. All right. So what exactly did you do from a methodology perspective to address this issue? So we have the ability to go into our medical records and pull out a lot of data. We decided to start by looking at the ICUs because we had a hunch that the impact from malnutrition was going to be really powerful in that setting. Uh, and we pulled all of the charts of patients who had been admitted to the ICUs uh, and then looked at comparing different outcomes between those who had been diagnosed with malnutrition, uh, severe malnutrition, and those who hadn't and made that comparison. And uh, the analysis showed as we expected it would that length of stay and mortality were both quite significantly impacted by whether or not you had severe malnutrition. And what we weren't expecting to find but did was that it depended on what ICU you were in as to how much that impact was. In our cardiothoracic ICU, malnutrition really made a huge difference in mortality and uh, uh, length of stay uh, compared to the other uh, ICUs, the uh, the medical ICUs and the general surgical ICU. Most of the patients who are admitted to have cardiac surgery don't have malnutrition, whereas a larger proportion of patients with surgical illness and medical intensive care needs uh, will have already uh, underlying systemic illness and have wasted some. So it's our feeling that if you were sick enough and in the ICU long enough to develop malnutrition in the cardiothoracic ICU that you had uh, probably become much sicker than the average population. And that's what explains the larger difference in length of stay and mortality in those in the cardiothoracic ICU compared to the others. That being said, isn't that a bit of a confounder, though, that the length of stay could simply be impacted by the fact that these individuals were sicker, as you just said, as opposed to it being primarily related to malnutrition? Well, this is what I was saying earlier about malnutrition and the difficulties in the way that we diagnose it, where we uh, conflate starvation and the impact of illness. So uh, it, it is exactly what you're saying, that people are, who have malnutrition might simply just be sicker, not starved, and this might not be a nutritional issue uh, or a nourishment issue, per se. No matter what, though, uh, people who have malnutrition, as we are currently defining it, if they are indeed sicker, which we have shown that they are, um, those patients are at higher risk for developing starvation because sicker people are harder to feed and more likely to develop feeding issues. And so even if there isn't a nourishment intervention for these uh, patients, there's certainly a nutrition intervention where 
closer monitoring and closer follow-up by nutrition professionals should be part of the, the intervention. I mention this because that's not recognized as a nutrition intervention by the insurers. In order for malnutrition to serve as a confounder that increases uh, reimbursement, something has to be done about it. Uh, so a, a supplement or a tube feed or, or, or parenteral nutrition has to be ordered in order for it to qualify. I believe that it, just simply increasing monitoring is an intervention that, that should be uh, included in what the insurers uh, consider as an intervention for malnutrition. Well, let me push you a little bit on this because we could imagine two individuals uh, with the same severity of illness in that cardiac ICU, one with malnutrition, one without, and that individual with the comorbidity of malnutrition in addition to their cardiac diagnosis could have even further length of stay issues then, right? At which point it should be a complicating condition where the insurers are concerned, regardless of whether or not it, there is an intervention, because they're simply going to have increased needs based on the additional presence of the malnutrition, independent of the cardiac diagnosis. Right. That's exactly what I was saying. They, they certainly have an increase in need in monitoring at a minimum. Some of them may develop problems with feeding that require specific intervention. But this is exactly what I was saying. I think that that just the diagnosis itself should serve, uh, especially given the findings of this study and, and uh, at least one other, uh, that it should serve by itself without any other intervention as a uh, comorbid condition that increases reimbursement. Currently, okay, that's very not good. The case. So we're on the same page here. Now, did you use disease severity as a covariant in your statistical analysis to address that issue specifically? Unfortunately, we don't have good data uh, on that um, from any of the units. Um, you know, we, we looked at using things like uh, Apache scores and, and so forth uh, to try and uh, see if we could get covariates, but they're not recorded in a way that, that was um, uh, practical for us to, to uh, uh, be able to derive uh, the statistics. That's certainly on our wish list. Sure. I, I I do appreciate the difficulty with doing that, particularly in a retrospective study where, where those data are not going to be available. And in a prospective study, then it's going to be hard to get such strong power and sample size as you do have in this, this current trial. Uh, so, exactly. you know, I appreciate what you're saying. Um, you alluded to whether or not there is value in intervention in nutrition intervention in these patients and i'm wondering if you can can talk to us a little bit more about that albeit not being being part of the study that that we're discussing today what are your thoughts on that it's kind sure, of a controversial thing to say dr sears yes it is and i think it's a really important thing for everyone to understand uh, say, for instance, that you have a patient who has metastatic pancreatic cancer who is on an appetite stimulant and eating 3,000 calories a day. No matter what, they're going to be losing muscle mass, wasting away. Uh, they're going to be immune suppressed and, and probably developing muscle weakness and so forth, uh, and possibly edema. So by our criteria, they will have malnutrition. 
but they're not malnourished. Well, actually, in this case, they're probably overeating. So what's special about these guidelines is that for the first time, the, the, there was recognition that there's a difference between what the disease does by itself and what nourishment does. And I think that that point hasn't been driven home strongly enough. Um, it, there are malnutrition conditions that result from systemic inflammatory disease, not because of altered uh, intake or absorption, or even uh, maybe not even due to utilization uh, that can be addressed by nourishment. And then there's starvation and or inadequate intake from different, you know, from uh, from malabsorption or fistulas or whatever. And the latter, we can really do something about. The former, we can't. There's an enormous literature that says that we don't impact on things like uh, muscle mass and albumin and, and, and so forth, the, the, these classic uh, definers of malnutrition. Uh, we don't impact on them by our nourishment interventions uh, as, a, as a whole. Uh, and, and by this, I'm talking uh, about calories and protein generally. There, there is some data about specialized approaches uh, uh, immune formulas after surgery, for example, where there is uh, the possibility that, uh, that nutrients may act uh, in ways that are beneficial, but this is all fairly nascent and, and, and needs to be developed in bigger studies. So the thing that I want to say is that, that even though I'm saying that, it's somebody, that every patient with malnutrition might not be malnourished, Every patient with malnutrition is at risk for developing feeding problems, and there's always a role for nutrition practitioners to, if at a minimum, increase the, uh, the monitoring that these patients uh, undergo. Now, Dr. Sears, you and I have had great fun debating this very issue in the past in public forums, and I just can't resist here saying that Though I agree with what you're saying in a catabolic, in, in specific populations with highly catabolic states, there are many sources of data showing that there is value to nutrition intervention in other patient populations. Um, and, and so I think it's hard for us to state overtly that there is not a benefit to nutrition intervention without, without categorizing that or or recognizing that that is going to be specific on the diagnosis and the patient population that we're looking about. Your, your point in, in cachexia is well taken. Um, and, well, I, and appreciate, I appreciate you clarifying that because uh, I don't want people to think that I think starvation is good for everybody. Um, I certainly don't. And, and I, I'm often misin, uh, misunderstood when I, when I try to draw these distinctions. Uh, catabolism by itself in the absence of starvation is not an indication for nutrition intervention. That's what I'm saying. Okay, very good. So we can we can continue our, our debate then, uh, just being certain that we are both specific about what type of patient we're talking about. Right. That though, uh, as, as you know, is not what's addressed in this study. This study clearly shows that when uh, a patient is meeting these criteria for malnutrition, that that is associated with a longer length of stay and increased in hospital mortality. In these ICU populations, 
Have you gone and looked at any other populations outside the ICU? We've started the process of looking at a general uh, medical and general surgical populations, but we haven't completed the study. Okay. Are there any early results you can share with us? Uh, no, actually. We're just, actually, we're just in the process of setting up the uh, data searching. Okay. Well, Sorry we will await that. that then. Uh, what can you, what would you like to have be the, uh, the final message that goes to our colleagues who may be listening? Um, what's the take home message that you'd like to leave them with from this work? Malnutrition predicts bad things happening. When somebody is diagnosed with severe malnutrition, I think an alarm should go off similar to a rapid response and every discipline and all of the best clinicians should descend on that patient, making sure that every I is dotted and T crossed, including that they're adequately nourished. Okay, I like to say malnourished patients do less well. And it sounds like on that point, we can agree. Certainly. Very good. So for our listeners, please do go and see the paper published by Dr. Sears and his colleagues entitled Malnutrition Diagnosis in Critically Ill Patients Using the 2012 AND Aspen Standardized Diagnostic Characteristics is Associated with Longer Hospital and Intensive Care Unit Length of Stay and Increased In-Hospital Mortality. You'll find this in the February 2020 issue of JPEN. Thank you, Dr. Sears. Thank you.